Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Harry Thornton, who is the Director of Global Sales at Aroma Solutions. Harry graduated university in 2015 and started his career in sales within an independent classic car and supercar dealership selling cars to high net worth individuals. After two years of that, he then joined Arama in 2016 as their first employee with the two founders. And in the last five years, he's gone from business development manager to director of global sales and growing and managing his own team. So he's actively been the top performer at Arama for the last few years and even recently has been shortlisted for the best perm consultant at the Global Recruiter Awards. Harry now currently manages and leads 17 people, is responsible for the continued growth of the team uh, and is now in the process of taking the business and the team stateside as well. So uh, Harry, welcome to uh, the podcast. Hey Jim, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Likewise. So million pound question is where we like to start. So I, I want to know from you, like in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you really feel like make up a highly successful recruitment consultant in, in today's market? I think it's a really interesting question, right? Um, because you you get this question a lot and you hear this question a lot, right? As I'm sure you know. But I, everyone talks around, you know, being money motivated or hardworking and all these buzzwords, right? But that's just the minimum for us and the normal for someone who wants to try and be the best. So you've got to try and take away from that, right? And look at what what it is, what's the why, and why are people doing it? And for me, and for Rama, in terms of what we've broken it down to is intensity. So the energy, the desire, the passion, obsessiveness. So becoming customer obsessed, becoming a candidate obsessed, living and breathing it. And then finally, self-development. You know, do you want to learn? What are you doing outside? How can you become the top 5% of individuals? So for me... It's those three characteristics and, and you know traits that I think makes a successful recruitment consultant. I love that. And what, what I'm finding really interesting, because it's sort of my world, I'm having daily conversations with recruitment business owners around learning development and things like that. And the, the businesses that I'm speaking to now that are maybe two, three years old, like they, they have really made sure that they've like baked in self-development in their culture. And I don't know how much that would have been around. Like I think it was probably maybe really reliant on the individual to, to do that. But I think more and more companies now like want people or trying to really bake it, that into their cultures. So like why why is that important out of interest? Like how does that play out? How does why is that important to to you and Arama out of interest? I think right as we know, there's so many people doing this job, and there's so many people trying to be the best. And it's how do you stand out from the rest? And by standing out from the rest is researching, understanding your industry, understanding your sector, understand reading and you know qualifying and looking into all of these different aspects of becoming a you know better sales individual process structure. And I think you know when I when I first started, maybe it wasn't so much in terms of the company, right? We were very, very small. But now we push that and we push our individuals and we give them self-development budgets per year to basically help them become the best and they can go on talks and conferences and courses and all that sort of stuff to really become you know what they want to do and i think you know that's kind of where i've seen you know everyone is talking a lot around this right now and i think it's really really important yeah i, I yeah i can't wait to see the the businesses in another like three four five ten years I think it's, yeah like recruit i think recruitment companies is just going to be different 
Like, I think what a great thing to really bake into your culture, like self-development, like that's, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's let's unpack this journey then. So as I, as I said in the intro, right, you was the first hire at Arama. So I think that's always a interesting experience. But just, just to track back a little bit, talk to me about like, what, what was the experience like selling uh, supercars, classic cars? Like obviously, obviously I'm assuming that was your first sales job. So uh, what did you learn from that out of interest? Like in hindsight now, looking back, I think it's just like anything, right? Growing up as a kid, you know, I loved cars. I, I thought you? they were okay. the best thing. Yeah, of, of course. It's a big, big hobby and passion of mine today is, you know, you have cars on your wall and all that sort of stuff. And I always, you know, always wanted to work in that industry and, you know, ended up working with, an in, with, a, with a great company that was selling some fabulous cars and dealing with some great people. And what I kind of realized was as much as I loved it, it wasn't a career for me and I wanted to get out of the industry, but I took so much from it. And I think what I took from it was how tough it was because it, it's not easy. Like there's so many people doing it and it, it, it's a tough trade to get into and to try and be the best and try and be around there and people to understand what you do, etc. And you got to remember at the time I'm, I'm like 18 years old or whatever I am. And not many people want to buy a desirable, you know, sports car from an 18 year old yeah even more baby face than you are now I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I look 16 now and i just look 12 back then um so i think it taught me the core fundamentals of sales right but mm. there wasn't as much structure and process in places there is potentially in recruitment in other sales industries and i think it got to the point where i was surrounded by people that have been doing it for like 30 40 50 years and i wanted to really go and do something that was changing the way that that industry or sector was done. And it came to the point where I loved it, but I think it was just a hobby rather than a career and a, and a trajectory. Okay, fair enough. So let, let's let's unpack this Arama journey then. So what, so at the time then, so Arama, obviously it was Paul and Sam. Yeah, so Paul and Sam, cool. So you was the first hire, right? So what I want to know firstly is like, what what gave you the courage to join that business as the first hire because that that's uh that's could be daunting for some people people may go nah, like, there's no way i'm joining the company as the first hire like that's quite scary what happened all of that like what what gave you the courage to do that out of interest i think yeah i think no one growing up has ever wanted to work in recruitment no one knew what it was right and for me of how i got into it and how i even got into that position was my stepfather was in software sets he was running a, a you know a uk and i patch for a software company and the founders actually did some work for him they used to recruit for him and i was just talking through what, what where i wanted to go and technology was something that really excited me and long story short you know recruitment is something that popped up um through that and i had you know three interviews at various different companies of all different sizes and i met paul and sam you know back when they had this tiny little office in in allgate in london you know the, the office was so small you would turn around in your chair and you'd bash into the person behind you because it, it was it was tiny but really what drove me to answer your question to join arama was the people was paul and sam um i've never met anyone at that point in my life that had the same desire and motivation and just understanding of the industry than anyone, right? And there was lots of people I spoke to that were all great people, but it was these guys that really stood out from the rest. And I think recruitment had, or has sometimes a bad name for, for various reasons. And these guys were just relaxed and they weren't your typical cliche recruiters, as a lot of people know. 
And they were super smart, super genuine, and just wanted to go on a great journey to build a great company. And for me, it wasn't about the company. It was about the people. And I joined because of those two. Okay, so bought into to them. And did just out of interest, because... I think sometimes if you were in sort of Paul and Sam's shoes, they they may have a bit of a like, oh, why would Harry want to join us? There's only there's only two of us. That like, what? How did they did they sell the vi- how did they sort of articulate the vision to you? Like, what what did that? How did that come across out of interest? Like, did they do a good job of that? Like, what resonated with you on that front out of interest? A hundred percent, they did because they 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 worked for a long time at another recruitment company and sort of built out a practice there. So I knew these guys had done it. They'd been there. They'd already experienced the highs and lows of recruitment, but they'd realized that they wanted to change the way recruitment was done. So I bought into the vision of what they were trying to do because there's so many companies trying to do this, but they were changing the way that what recruitment was, how recruitment was done in the technology sector. So for me, it was bought in based on what they were going to do differently, the trajectory, the growth goals, all of the stuff that they had outlined. They invested a good amount of money straight into the business. And you know, truthfully, when you're when you're that young, when I when I joined, went into recruitment, I wanted to work with people that were very similar to me, and they were five or six years older than me at the time. And I was like, you know, they're the types of people I think I can learn from and work with and buzz off. And that was the most important factor for me at that time. Okay, cool, love that. So let, let's talk about the last five years, then. So now now find yourself in this startup. Obviously, had the. Obviously, yeah, the uh, obviously relationship with your uh, stepdad around the software sales had that context. So, assuming you're obviously quite excited to get involved in the space and all of that. So, obviously, as I'm sure you've probably said something along the lines of this to people when you're interviewing for Rama now. Obviously, your first year, first two years of recruitment can be the hardest, right? Or w- will be your hardest. So, talk to us about how would you looking back in your first what year to two two years? Like, how would you describe? that experience like how how difficult was it like talk to us about what those sort of first two years were like yeah it was it was super super tough yeah the 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 year one was really really tough i came into the business we have a at the time you know we had an amazing training program right it was intensive two weeks in a classroom no phone you know nothing at all it was just learning about the industry learning about what the industry is all about truthfully I, i sort of struggled a little bit with that um, of coming in, of of understanding all the different sectors. And I got too obsessed with trying to learn what the technology did the whole time and not take a step with back of of recruitment itself. And, and I, yeah, I struggled with that a little bit go, going into it. Um, we got more into the practical side and, you know, I got off to a great start in the first couple of months, but then it became really, really tough. And when I started Arama, again, we're three people now. There's so many other companies around there. No one has a clue who we are, what we do. Every single person is telling me, no, 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 no. And it was not only trying to start in recruitment, it was trying to build a business and build a brand. And that was the hardest thing in, in, in year one was, you know, we were just trying to land new companies, new logos the whole time. And that was really tough of, of being a guy that's been in the industry for six or seven months, trying to speak to these C-levels, VPs, et cetera, and saying, I can build your team. Well, you know, I'm, I looked at 12 at that point, right? So <laughs> no one's... No, no one wanted to trust me to do it. So it took a long time. It took a, you know, that, that first year was really, really tough. But what I did in that first year was build an amazing relationships and network. And that's the biggest thing I took from that. Not the billings. It was a network and the champions that I built in that year. Okay. 
let's talk about that. So I think that I just want to focus on this sort of early part and then we'll, we'll talk about. So the, the reason why is there's, I'm sure you're, you're seeing it, I've noticed it, but there, every single recruitment company right now is hiring, right? Um, and I think if right now the, the market is, is really buoyant. So if you're a good recruiter, you, you should be making some good money right now. So a lot of companies in terms of hiring experienced recruiters um, probably aren't going to be that successful um, in doing that. So uh, it, it's really clear to me from what I can see, like recruitment companies are really back hiring, non-experienced, grad level talent um, into the industry, which is really exciting. So what I just want to sort of get your take on is just to unpack some of the things that you just mentioned there, because what I find really common, I'm sure you've seen this as in people, is the two things that you're talking about. So one, when you're talking about you got too obsessed with like being an expert in the technology, I think sometimes that, that's quite common where like you feel like for you to be competent or for you to be the expert or for you to be um, on the same level as the people you're speaking to, you have to know as much as they do, which is just never going to be the case even five years, three years, 10 years in. Right. I want to talk to you about first, like how, how did you overcome that? Like, how did you, and how do you help others overcome that now? Cause I think that's a really common thing. Like, how did you go about building expertise and how did you change your mindset to go hang on a minute? Like I don't get paid to do what these people do. I need to double down on one, immersing myself in industry, learning, listening, doing all of that. But like, how did you change your mindset on that out of interest? Cause that's a really common challenge for people. This podcast is proudly partnered with Vincherry, the recruitment operating system for your front, middle, and back office. So I recently recorded a podcast with James Layton from the Anderson James Group, which will be out really soon. And as part of our conversation, we got into the topic of the best tools that he's invested in so far in his business journey. And guess what? Vincherry was up there and also Sourcebreaker was. But in this very short snippet, you're going to hear why James is so happy to be a Vincherry customer. And look, who's better to tell you about their product and why you should be considering Vincherry as your operating system partner than their customers themselves. Here's what James had to say. We implemented Vincherry right in the heat of lockdown. We decided that it was the right time. The old system that we use was clunky. I'm a real, real, real believer of Vincherry as a system. I must have recommended 20 people to Vincherry over the years because I think they're going to change the game. And I can say that wholeheartedly, having used Bullhorn and another product, I can say that Vincherry is number one in that world for a growing recruitment business because it's intuitive, it's got intelligence suites, it's got everything that you probably need to... Yeah, it's a whole operating system, not just a CRM, is it? It's a whole point. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Like, you know, Eloise and the team there, they're they're great. And they're always there if you need them for anything. Yeah, I think for me, it was about, there's so many different aspects of recruitment. It was building our own strategy and becoming an, you know, expert within the strategy that we picked and coming into recruitment now in terms of what people that we're hiring, we will put them into a full on intensive two, three week course of learning as much as they can around recruitment, different sectors within the industry, what all the different technologies do to a high level, right? And this stuff takes time to get fully ramped up and to get really, really good. But what we want to do is create people to create their own strategies, right? So they become an expert in a certain area of technology or a certain discipline, or they like to build, you know, go-to market sales teams within Europe or the US. Yeah, yeah. So have their niche, have a focus. A hundred percent. It's really important because you you then you have a recyclable use of of individuals, clients, 
you know, regions, all of that sort of stuff. So I think what you really need to do at the start is to become an expert in a certain area and then branch out as you do it. Like when I started out, I started in one area and I just became an expert and I understood every single person within that space and just built on it constantly because technology evolves, as we know, the whole time. So you can't complete it at the start. It takes so many and you'll never complete it. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, okay, best advice for me then, if I'm going, okay, Harry, that makes sense. What's your best advice for me to become an expert? Like, should, what, should I be, what should I be doing my time? Should I be finding what events I can attend to learn from in, in the industry? Should I just be making sure that I ask, like, trying to speak to as many candidates as possible? Like, what's your best advice for me to really double down and become an ex expert and get that expertise as quickly as possible? That's an interesting point. I think you've got to do something you're passionate about, not just because oh that looks like the thing to do you, you want to want to work in that space you want to be excited by it i think that's the most important thing at the start is do something that excites you and you have passion to do whether it's a sector technology a space is and then you can expand on that right you can meet all the stakeholders within that ecosystem you can go to conferences you know there's lots of events on there's one in london last week big data london great place to go and meet people and you know, learn from people and network, etc. And then you, again, you just start building a, a recyclable use of the same individuals and get better and better. And then before you know it, you're the expert in that space and you're getting constantly people reach out to you. Hey, I've heard you can do this in space or, hey, could you meet, uh, you know, one of my other clients or whatever who does this, meet him. He would like your help as well. So I think it's really important that you just get into one space and you become, again, obsessed with that space. All right. So then the other, the other part then. So when you said around that you built really good relationships in that first year, champions, all that, was that intentional? How can people listen to this in their first year? Because I think what, what can be obviously hard to to see sometimes is like how though, because like you've got the benefit of hindsight now where you've been in the game for five years and you've seen these relationships that you built over time, like really come to fruition, or you've had some really positive experiences from those relationships that you built in year one. But when you're in the trenches, you're getting the nose, you're getting rejected in that year one, it can be hard to see how these relationships can play out or help you in the future, right? So like, what's your advice for people to really be intentional about the relationships? And what should I be thinking about when building these relationships? And, and how should I not be approaching them as well? Yeah, I think I didn't realize how important it was in year one. I didn't, I, I didn't, you know, obviously, you know, I had Sam Paul, great mentors teaching me and teaching me about champions, but I didn't fully grasp it because I hadn't seen the success from it. And it wasn't until year two, year three, year four, where you really start to see how important it is building champions. Champions are the most important thing in your business because they help you and walk you into business because of your relationship with them or because of the work you've done with them or whatever it may be. And I think building champions for me is going and meeting these guys, understanding them and being obsessed with what that champion does, right? For me, I know everything about my champions and, and, and my clients. Everything there is to know, what what their kids do, what schools, you know, you know, their university, what their hobbies are, are they married? Whatever it may be, where did they grow up? All of that sort of stuff. And that's what it is about being obsessed with your champions. You've got to know every single thing about them so then you can help them become the best in what they can do. You can help candidates by prepping them and doing it all right, you know, so they know how to tackle these individuals. So I didn't realize how important that was. And it's only you know now where you realize what you need to do to do that. So I don't think there's a secret formula for it. 
I think it really is spending time and actually generally caring about these individuals and, you know, spending going, jumping on a plane to go meet these people and understanding what's going on. And the more you do that and the more and closer relationships you build, the more champions you're going to create and the more business and avenues that that opens up. Yeah. So what you're saying here is just really commit to, yeah, the process of like getting to know these people, be obsessed. Yeah. So what, so you use obviously the phrase champions quite a few times here. What, Talk to us what you actually mean by that. Are we talking about, I know typically the terms of candidates and clients, right? So talk to us about how would you define a champion? Because you've mentioned that a few times and why, why is champions important? So a champion is really important for, and, and this comes from software sales, right? There's a lot of great leaders out there that I'm sure you've heard of that really created this. And we utilize that into recruitment. A champion is an individual that has you know, a say or a decision in the process. So they are a decision maker, a hiring manager that can effectively help you win the business within the company that you're trying to go after. And a champion can leverage his network or leverage his own company to help create that business. So you may have a great guy that you've done lots of business with, you got really close to him, and he can champion you into another one of, of his friends and help you. So it's constantly utilizing your network to create and build your business instead of, you know, it, why not let them do the work? You've done great work for them. Help, let them help you and, you know, work closely with them. And it's the most important way in my, in my business right now is, you know, let's say you, you see a company, you really want to work there and the CEO has got a mutual connection with someone, you know, ask your champion, help me. How can, can you facilitate an introduction here? Can you help me get in front of this guy? Can you tell him about me? And, and utilizing them in, in that way. And that's the most important, you know, way and, and, you know, process that we follow to try and open up some of these doors. Yeah, no, I really like that. I really like that. Yeah, you, obviously you hear that um, phrase in software sales, don't you, uh, champions? And yeah, yeah. So but ultimately what we're saying here is is people that have um, got a, uh, had a really good experience with Harry, the recruiter. And yeah, I'm someone that's willing to put my neck on the line or put my name under something to go, hey, look, you've got to speak to this Harry guy or this is why you should speak to him. And, and just someone that could, as you said, if you've done good work with them, um, can really help you. So I, re I really like that. I think that, that should be a phrase, phrase that, that's probably used more in recruitment because it's different to like referral, like getting a referral. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's having, yeah, how many chances? Yeah, I love that. So just, just on this, because clearly it's been a, an important part of your journey. What's your best advice for people in like, let's just say, for example, I'm someone in the software sales market that you've identified that I could be a champion. So what's been your most effective way of turning Hisham, who you don't know, you haven't spoken to before, into a champion? How, how, how can we go about doing that? It's a good point. And it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, yeah. Some These champions could take, you know, months, years, because so many people are trying to, you know, get in with these guys. I think most importantly is them understanding your value add. What are you good at? Why should I want to work with you? And I think, you know, once you've done and you've created a market and you've created an obsession and you've got a good strategy, you can share that with them and they can understand what you can bring to the table and how you can help them. Once they understand that, it takes time to build the relationship. And I think so many people call people when they want something and they don't listen to that person and they're just calling them to try and get business. Well, no, that, that people don't work like that. You need to work with people and understand what they want to do and and, and just become close with these individuals. And for me, that's the thing that's really helped me out is 
caring about people and having a lot of time and building really good relationships with people to then turn into champions. You can't just reach out to someone and assume they're going to be your champion. They're not. You, you, it's it's going to take time. Yeah, okay, cool. Got it. So let's just talk about then. So it's a couple of like really, really common areas. So let's just sort of give some context for people. So from what I can see, obviously you was business development manager for like a year and a half, then went into a sort of head of global sales role for like three years before you then became director, right? So talk to me about like, so the, the head of global sales piece, obviously obviously you're still in a billing, like you did still do your own billings now, right? But when you went into the head of global sales, did you then transition from like just worrying about your own number um, and billing to then supporting other people? Or what? just give us a bit of context there on how the responsibility has changed and then we'll, we'll go through some of that. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, as a business development manager, right, you're, you're in control of your own business, you're running your own, you know, your own company effectively, right? You're responsible for bringing on the business and closing the business. Um, so I started off that and then moved into, I would say, a, you know, a, a billing leadership role, right, where you're, you're still billing, but you're helping others to go on their journey and teaching them what you know. So I've gone from that to transitioning to a director, which is, you know, obviously helping others and becoming a non-billing director of, you know, helping them do it. And obviously, of course, you're still going to have the odd deals here and there, right? Um, you know, we love it. That's why we do it. But, you know, the you know the director is more about helping, enabling and coaching people to become the best. Yeah. All right. So I know, so we're definitely going to unpack that, right? So, but like in terms of like your journey of getting better at that, going from, yeah, as you're saying, like a high performer to doing that. So, just a couple of things like this just helps with context, right? Because I want to sort of dig into like what's Harry's journey been with like business development, winning clients. How have you got? How have you improved on that? And then we can talk about how you feel like others can improve with that and, and these things, right? So in and around the first couple of years, then like what 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 was you hitting number wise, billings wise, on in the first couple of years? Year one was you know was was okay, right? It was super super tough. I would suggest probably around. 40 or 50k maybe you know maybe off a, a couple of deals that you know were really really tough and probably had quite a few deals fall out for whatever reasons as well yeah year one was was a grind dude it was it was tough <laughs> <laughs> and then and then what about when you then started to go into this more billing leadership role because then you're going to have to juggle even more time and stuff like what did you what was you doing performance wise in around there and then we'll talk about yeah the last like two years but yeah, just I want to sort of understand early on, really, first two, three years. What did it look yeah, like? Yeah, for, for me, year one was really, really tough. Um, I then went into to the year two and year three. All the hard work that I'd done in year one wasn't wasted. It was all these networks and people that I'd met along the way were now coming into play, right? It's a long-term game. I think so many people in recruitment think everything's going to happen overnight. It doesn't. It's a career. It, it takes a while to get up and um, up and running. So from year two and year three is where I really started to see some, some you know, acceleration um, because I'd utilized all the champions that I'd started to build into the year two and year three. So I think, you know, I went from 50K to 250K. And then I think the following year was about 600,000 in year three. Yeah, yeah. And then just because we spoke about this before, right? We're, we're not trying to talk about this to like show off our Harry's this like super big biller, right? But like, it just helps for people to go because I want to, we now want to understand like, like what changed? What what were some of the things that you think really took things up a notch? Because what what obviously the, we were talking before we started, right? So this year so far has been like your best, like on track to do your best year. 
Yeah, so the, the last two years have been have been pretty good. I think, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's going to be north of of, of over a million. Yeah, see, and that's perm as well, isn't it? Perm, it's it, all perm. It's all, per, it's all perm. Yeah, so that's big. So let, let's unpack this then. So, so we've we've got an idea of your journey of like performance, right? So let, let's unpack this. So as you were saying, a huge part has been the champions. And as you said, just like building relationships, these then obviously playing out over the long term really helped. But talk, talk to us about your journey with like, obviously in order for you to build those sorts of numbers, you're going to have to be working with some great clients, right? Or, and great, great businesses um, and, and be trusted in, in supporting them in these things. So talk to us about your journey with business development, like how, what's been over the, the time you could say maybe the last two years, three, whatever, but like what's been the most effective way for you to win business out of interest? Our vision and my vision from the start has been around VCs, so venture capital firms. And that has been the goal. There's lots of software companies and there's lots of hiring managers, but there's VCs that have access to three, 400 different companies within their portfolio. So my strategy has been around building relationships within VCs. You need to do certain things to build out the VC strategy. And it takes a long time to build that. And I'm only just at the beginning, but they introduce us to some of the best companies in the world and help enable us to work with them. Because if they introduce us to some of their portfolio companies and we build out great go-to market sales and, and technical functions, they're going to get their investment back quicker than, than they could. Should be a win-win. It's a win-win. And look, there's lots of parts on that, but the key with that is, is patience. It takes a long time. Okay, so that that's been key in and you're doing that. So talk to me a bit about that. So as we were saying, you're you're a you're a young guy talking to these very smart people that are probably older than you, have a lot of money. How like what was your confidence like speaking to these people? How did you what, what's that been like? Because surely that might be a bit daunting at times. Of course, it's really tough to yeah, of course, it's a bit daunting. Of course, you know, these are, you know, organizations and people that are, you know, billionaires, et cetera, right? So some of these VC owners. But you've got the credibility because you don't just go and, and approach a VC and say, hey, can can I work with you guys? It's done based on the work you've done within companies in their portfolio. They may invest in a company that you've helped build and hire 30, 40, 50, 100 people for. You become known within that VC because they see your name, right? And it's by doing this within several companies within their portfolio, they start becoming aware of you. So although it is daunting, they know what you're capable of doing. They know you're good and they know that you've been helping them indirectly for the past couple of years in their portfolio companies. So it's really about utilizing the work that you've done to yeah, enable- 100%, really, really important. Yeah, yeah. So you went down. Okay, so it just sounds super strategic then. So really double down on doing good work, building relationships. I guess you were probably being strategic with the types of companies you were targeting that you knew were part of different, obviously, portfolios and everything. And then just just, just out of interest, like, I know this won't just be like one conversation and then it happens, but like, what, because I'd like to think that sort of every recruiter can sort of use this advice and strategy of like, building credibility, being known, doing good work, and then leveraging that to build some really great relationships that can massively, massively 
help you like how do you actually approach that conversation with these people is it as simple as like hey look we haven't spoken before but we've been working with this company which i'm aware of is part of your portfolio we've helped them do this how open would you be to like do you know what i mean how what's been like the best way of like opening the doors with the with these types of people this podcast is proudly partnered with the award-winning Sourcebreaker. And all I wanted to tell you about today is one of their recent really useful and valuable articles. So a lot of you right now are probably thinking, how can I tap into more talent pools? How can I get more relevant candidates showing up in my searches, whether that's on your CRM, LinkedIn, wherever it may be? Well, this is Sourcebreaker's world. So what they've recently done is published an article called The Power of Search, Five Ways You Can Improve Your Candidate Pool. So in this really short article, you will walk away with five practical ways that you can uncover and find talent that you're looking for that maybe might not show up if you're just using the the current ways of searching and what you're doing. I mean, what they've found from all of the surveys and data that they can look at is like 48% of searches typically contain errors. So if you want practical ways that you can uncover talent that you may be missing, click the link in the show notes, read the power of search, uh, get those tips, walk away with them, start using them, and let us know how you get on with those five tips and if you find some more people. Enjoy. It, it goes back to the earlier point, champions. Is, is utilizing them because I think, look, it's really tough to, to find a, a great recruitment partner. Some, some people struggle, right? In, in a portfolio or, or, or in a network, you know, of, of C-levels, if they found someone that's really good, they want to tell their friends about it. They want, they want to be the guy that's found the best company that can help build their go-to market teams. And that creates a buzz and that creates, you know, something around what, what you do and they want to introduce you and they want to help. And that is really important. Look, don't get me wrong. You know, at the start of this journey, it wasn't that easy. There was a lot of calling and pushbacks and no's, but if you can have one great client, utilize them, you know, push them to help you because you've helped them. Yeah, I don't think people do that enough today. Okay. So then let's just flip this other way. Like now, cause you've been involved in other people's journeys, you've helped them. Like where, where do a lot of people, go wrong or, or like sort of struggle do you think with the with the business development side and, and doing that because like because I'm now in, in like just fully immersed in like learning development right a really common sort of point of like challenging transition for a lot of recruiters that I speak to is like that obviously typically quite a lot of the times people start on like some like delivery or like start focus on the candidates and then at certain times three months six months whatever they then start sort of trying to build out their own patch they start obviously building their own champions building clients and these things and sometimes that transition can be really hard it could be confidence it could be putting clients on a pedestal it could just be a, a difficult transition so like where where do you think some people go wrong with the bd side which is where they may struggle or sort of common common stumbling blocks that you see or have seen in, in people i think people rush bd and they think that they're going to be the best straight away and they've got they are constantly looking up to someone in their office or in their team of this guy can do it why can't i do it well how long has he been doing that how long has he been creating these relationships for how long has he been an expert in in one sector 
And I think so many people rush to do it and they think they can do it really, really quickly. And it takes time. You've got to remember these C-level and VPs are building multi-billion dollar companies. They're not just going to trust someone that's just come into the industry with, hey, here's all my hiring. I'm going to put all of my trust into you. It's going to take time. What you need to do is start by helping these people and becoming advisors and understanding exactly what their pain points are. What are they looking for? And I think people really struggle to see that side of things is you're there as an advocate. You're there as a advisor of, of what these guys help them, talk to them, guide them on where they should put people, where, which country should they be landing on, what's hot topics, what go-to market plans should they be you know, working to. And I think people, I think some people think it's just a transaction, but you need to give them, you know, intel and, and advice as well. It's not just one way. It's really important that you understand, you know, your industry and understand your region and sectors, etc., to help them. Yeah. So, yeah, what, what I take from that is like, again, yeah, it's like basically stop, stop just thinking like in it, what's in it for you, basically. Yeah. 100%. And as you said, it takes time. And then you said you're talking about a few things that like where you can be consultative, like asking good questions, giving them good insight, which should give you more and more opportunities to start finding out if you can help these people or you're not just there just to talk about, hey, have you got any jobs at the moment or can I help you? You're trying to help them as well. Um, so you send, yeah, a lot of people rush to like, they want to get to the place which most benefits them rather than, okay. It's quite tr- transactional, if that makes sense. I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people are quite transactional in their approaches to, to these these individuals. And I think what you got to remember is there's so many people also reaching out to them. So what are you doing that's different to everyone else? Love it. So another really popular area, and then we'll go into like the le- the leadership journey that people love always sort of messing me about and stuff. Like, so I'm sure it's like different now, but let's just sort of look at it when like you was just, you didn't have as much management responsibility. Like you was mainly just worried about your, your number. You had your own sort of goals and targets. And as you said, you'd be obviously doing some sort of punchy numbers, 600, a million pounds, et cetera. Like what, what did Harry's day plan look like? How did you structure your day? Talk to me. People, people want to know details, mate. <laughs> what is the day plan of a, uh, of a, of a, a really good biller? Talk to us. What, what was a typical day? How do you structure it? So I think the most important thing is, is going into your week planned. Okay. And what we call them is NCMs. So new candidate meetings. You want to go into your week, as many NCMs in place as possible. So you're already planning your week on Friday. Okay. So you've already started doing that. You've maybe got 10, 15 calls with candidates or you know, new client meetings as well, already locked in. That's really, really important that you're planning a couple of days ahead. You've also got to plan the day ahead. So, you know, Monday going into Tuesday, what's your to-do list? You know, you don't want to be coming into an office at eight o'clock in the morning and saying, right, what am I doing today? It's this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to act on it straight away. So I think a lot of the time is, you know, some people like, right, you know, you do calls and then you do hour of emails. I think that really comes down to the individual. Some people can multitask throughout the day, right? They can have a 25 minute call, then they can do a couple of minutes of emails and then go on to another call. Some people can't work like that. So it really depends on the type of individual predominantly. Um, But for me, it it depends on, again, what role are they doing? If they're doing just business development, they want to be having as many client calls scheduled as possible. If they're just doing delivery, they need to have as many candidate calls. But for, for me, you don't want to be doing the 
searching and all that sort of stuff in in core golden hours. You want to be doing that outside of the hours where you can be on the phone and you can be speaking to individuals. So you've got to plan your day correctly within that. So if you're doing searching, you're doing LinkedIn, Booleans or whatever that may be, you want to do that out of your core hours. Maybe you do that from eight till nine or you do that from five till six or whatever that may be. You want to be doing that in those periods. And then the rest of the day should be planned, right? You might have six candidate calls and then you might have an hour of, you know, not cold calling. No one likes to cold call these days. It's warm calling. Um, and, you know, you, you might have an hour of, of calling through a, a list of, of whatever it may be. Um, so it's really just going into that week as, as planned as you can and utilizing the hours in the day in the right way. If you're working in the US stuff, you know, make sure you're planning your day UK v US. Or if you're just working in Amir, just focusing on those times. So it really comes down to what regions you're working in, what role you're doing. But the most important thing for me is is going prepared and understanding exactly what you're doing the day before. Yeah, yeah. So the day before. So what? So basically, you wouldn't leave the the office until you plan the following day. And then you're thinking about 100%. the next week at the end of the week. For sure, you might have a list of twenty things that you need to do in that day, and you can go systematically tick them tick them off throughout the day. You know, sometimes I block out an hour for for admin. We all love selling. We all love being out in the field, and you forget about the most important tasks sometimes, the admin tasks. So you got you got to allow for everything within the day. It's really important. All right, mate. Let's break this down if you don't mind. I know, yeah. like, I know it's really nuanced here, right? In terms of like, but like, this you say, typical day. This final thing on this because pe- people just love this, mate. So. Yeah. Like, so what, what are we doing? So let's break it down by hour. Let's talk about when you were just like proper billing, what you get into your office, what, eight o'clock, like, and what we're we doing. Let's just break it down hour by hour. Okay. So eight o'clock, eight o'clock, we're coming into the office. We've got our day planned. Yeah. So you did that the day before. Day before, we've got it already. We're good to go. We might come in. We're looking at our emails for the first 30, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how many I've got. Typically, they may have come from the night before from the US, because obviously a lot of our business is in the US and they're applying overnight. So we're coming in, we're going to action those. Um, so that may take you to nine o'clock. From nine until 12, I would want someone to have new candidate meetings or client calls already scheduled. If you don't, then you should be setting out the time to be calling in that time. To make those happen, to get those booked in, yeah. yeah. To, to make that happen and to, to, to do that. Then you might go and do a run, have your lunch, whatever you want to do if we're breaking yeah, it down. Yeah. And then... Depending on, again, what region you're working in, you might be now working in the US. So you may spend another hour from one to two planning what you're going to do from two to six, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night because you're now working in the US. So you're spending time of understanding who you're going to be targeting, who you're going to be speaking to, setting up those calls, preparing for those calls, etc. And then again, you know, from two to five to six, you want to have that plan. New candidate meetings, new client meetings, depending on what side you're from. And then, you know, maybe 6 till 7 p.m. or 5 till 6, depending on what hours you work, you want to be, again, planning for the next day. If you're doing searching, you're doing LinkedIn projects, all that sort of stuff, that needs to be done outside of those hours because the core hours are for speaking to people. Yeah, yeah, nice. Thanks for breaking that down. And then final thing, what's helped you focus out of interest? Because, like, we can have that structure, but then, like, I can be really easily distracted or the, like, I don't know, what, what's out of interest? What's helped you focus over the years? A- any sort of habits that you live by? Sport for me has been, has been a big one. Um, is, you know, going to the gym, running. You know, I got really, really into running when I started recruitment. You know, running half marathons, marathons, et cetera. And, and that really, really helped me switch off 
and even come, you know, maybe you go for a half an hour run at lunchtime and you come back and you're, you're so much more prepared and refreshed through the day rather than sitting at your desk for 12 hours straight or whatever it may be. And then over weekends, we go back to the cars things. I've got a big, big hobby in cars and, and motorbikes and anything with an engine. So I think for me, it's really, really important. Recruitment is very, very mentally draining at times. But having that recovery period of a weekend to really, you know, for me, it's so important to do things of a weekend and enjoy your time. And I'm always doing something of a weekend because I want to make the most of it and come back Monday refreshed and ready to go. Yeah, I love that. So let's talk about this leadership journey you've been on then. So obviously I've been a high, high performer, top biller, whatever you want to call it. Talk to us about this then. So now like your, your role now is very much all about how can we get the best out of the team? How can I help them maximize their potential and all of this? So talk to us about firstly, like this is normally like a really challenging transition for people. So what, what did you find difficult initially when you started going on this leadership journey? You, your responsibility started sort of going up um, you're responsible for more people. Like, what what did you find really difficult at the start, or during, or maybe even now still? Yeah, I think uh, the transition from being a top biller in the industry and go through the journey to being a manager and then going into being a leader is really tough. Okay, I had this crazy mentality that everyone had to be like me, and yeah, it's really common. And and you know, well, that's the way I did it, so that must be the right way of doing it, and. I have learned that everyone is different and everyone is motivated in a different way and that individuals work differently, et cetera. And that for me was, was that, that transition period was, was tough to understand that. What I've done over the years is, is from transitioning into this leadership role is really to have my own leadership philosophies. I'm really big on, on leadership philosophies and, and just a, I guess a couple of those would be I like to do exercises with my team to understand about me and understand our relationship and understanding what's going on. So we started doing um, something called stop, start and continue. And what I will do is I will do it with every single one of my team and they'll do it to me. And what I want from them is to list three to five things that I should stop doing. And I would like them to list three to five things I should start doing. And then I'd like them to list three to five things I could continue doing. This really helps get the most out of your relationship with your team because it's not a nailing exercise. It's nothing like that. It's let's learn. It's something you want me to continue doing something. Great. Tell me because I'll keep doing it. Or if you want me to start doing something, I'm going to do it. And maybe something annoys you, then I'm going to stop it. <laughs> and, and that is how often are you doing those? Uh, we're doing them. We're doing them uh, monthly. Um, so, so every single one of the team, I'll do it to them. They'll do it to me. Well, as a collective or uh, during one to one, one to one. Yeah, yeah. Right. How's that played out? How's why has that been? Why has that worked? I mean, I can see why it could work. I think that's great. You're creating, you're creating the space to have that clear communication to, around things that could, yeah, maybe like where some people may not make space for that clear communication. Where three months down the line, all the things that are on that stop list haven't been spoken about and they're like, right, Harry, I don't want to work for him anymore. I'm leaving sort of thing. Do you get what I mean? So how, how has that helped? Clearly that's been impactful. I wanted to be exposed. I wanted to, you know, if I was doing something that they didn't want, I wanted to be exposed. I wanted them to tell me. And I think it's very tough to do that in day-to-day -day life. Hey, can you stop that or whatever? So this really gives them the opportunity to lay it out on a table. And I want full honesty, you know, of, of this. And we will then do... A review have we 
actions one, two, and three? And how am I tracking? Some of these things may take time. You can't suddenly stop doing yeah, some yeah, of these yeah, things, and it's going to take time. So for me, it's been it's been really, really good to understand, you know, the things that they like and the things that they want want to see more of. What were the common things on the stop list that of interest? Any common, <laughs> any common things? Because I think people, other people could relate to it, maybe. Anything that jumps out, if I go, something that you maybe thought, oh, that's come up a few times, or... I think from a start, a stop perspective, I think, I think sometimes... I'm quite demanding in terms of my expectations of people. Okay, that's very common. I, I want people to be, to give me 110% the whole time. And yeah. I think sometimes, maybe that's not possible. And maybe sometimes people are going through something or whatever, right? And I think it's like, you know, stop and think about the position someone may be in. Yeah. Before nice. you demand. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, there'll be there'll probably be moments that you've had to learn where you're like, I need to like just give them the energy of like, no, you can do this. You need to give me 110%. And there's probably moments where you've tried to react with that energy and that expectation when really they needed to be listened to or like, you, do you get what I mean? Like, it's not always the, yeah, that makes sense. That's probably really common to be fair. But um, I can tell you more another time, yeah, as this continues to go on. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, what about any other philosophies? And I really like the fact that you've, like, where did, where did that come from? Like, obviously you're clearly big into your, self-development like like what what other leadership philosophies have you sort of really bought into yeah i think i think you know there's 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 so many right and i think there's no secret recipe and you you pick them up off so many different people and you then start to build your style so what i've been doing over the last couple of years is building my own philosophy and and working out lots of styles and you know i I picked that one up from um uh, an advisor of our company um, who, who sold his, you know, very successful recruitment company he sold and, and is now advising our company. And I picked that up of him. So what I'm trying to do is constantly pick up lots of different philosophies from lots of people, not just in the recruitment industry, but also within the software industry. And it's a, an exercise that I picked up again from the software industry was a thing called a war room. Uh, are, you, are you familiar with a war room? I've heard, I've, I've heard like war stories in recruitment, but no, war, war room, no, I'm, I'm going to assume it might be something around like, let's talk all the talk about our biggest challenges or, I mean, I don't know, work for them together. I don't know. what What's the war room? Yeah. So, so we, we do a bi-weekly war room um, and it's not as, <laughs> it's not as crazy as it sounds. Right? <laughs> no, yeah, um, go on. And this is purely an exercise for, you know, the 17 people in my team to learn. Okay. And what we'll do is we'll do, you know, half the team will do it one week and then the next week, the other people will do it. So there's a half listening, half doing. And really what this is, is we want everyone to talk about one deal that they're currently working on. So an ongoing deal. And I want them to list out all their fears within that deal. The fears of it may or may not happen. And here's why. And this is an exercise for every single person so that they've got five minutes to talk through their deal and then they've got five minutes for questions. And the questions are asked by all of my team around the deal and they're going to push them. They're going to ask some questions and they're going to understand and want to know more about the deal. And this is really to under- help the other members of the team understand from real life experiences of what happens and understanding the why. You know, truthfully, last week, three deals happened in my opinion based on doing this war room 
because they hadn't seen a way that this deal may or may have not have gone because yeah, somebody yeah. else had experienced that before. And then, I love that. you know, we, we vote on, on is it going to happen or not? And sometimes it is really good because, you know, someone's like, well, I know it's going to happen, but you guys are thinking it's not. So I'm going to prove to you it's definitely going to happen. But it's always kept in a positive light. That's the most important thing. It's not yeah, a yeah, negative. Yeah. It's a really important thing. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's brilliant. Because I think, as you, as you know, right, depending on where you are in your career, I think it's very easy. Like if you, if me, if I was in your team right now, I might be like, I don't know, maybe in my first year or 18 months, I'll start to build out my own clients. I've got a few people interviewing right now, a few deals that could drop this month. And it's just so easy for me to turn around to you when you go, he's from like, right, how's this month looking? And I go, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to smash it this month, mate. Going to board 50 grand, 100%, definitely. Da, da, da. And then as we all know, right, we can be very blinded and we want to see, we want to see what we want to see. We want to like all that. So I absolutely love that. And the fact that you're, you're sort of, you're doing a lot more there than like just helping them. You're really trying to cultivate a mindset, like just a different mindset as well to like be able to take a step back, be reflective, like look at the things that they can control. Like just like, there's just so many things that you're doing there, which I think is absolutely great, which you want to be trying to encourage to get what I mean. Cause it's just so easy to, just, yeah, like only see the things that you want to see, right? And especially right now, candidate management is really, really challenging right now. And I think as well is top billers in your team, people have a tendency to leave them alone because they're top billers. Now, even a top biller, something could happen in their deal and they can learn from it. And so it's helping everyone, not just the people that are the best. Exactly, yeah. And they can, and then the top billers can learn from others. Sometimes that may not even happen because like you're really being intentional with that conversation then because if we if you didn't make the space for that again, like the only way that I would find out that, oh, Harry, you've been through this is like, I'd have to really be intentional to be like, Harry, I've got this going on at the moment, blah, blah, blah. Like, what would you do? Da, da, da. Like, so I it's then really down to me, but you're creating a space every other week for people to get, those insights that maybe they wouldn't have if they didn't ask. Do you get what I mean? I think, I th- honestly, I think I think that's brilliant. I love that. So look, before before we finish that, and talk talk to us about what you're excited about, mate. So we mentioned in the intro doing a lot more in America. Like I don't know what what's going on. What are you excited about? So obviously you have got this team that's growing. What 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 does the future hold for you? I'm I'm the most excited I've ever been in in this in this journey. The journey has really started to accelerate very very rapidly. Um, we're just about to land our, our first office and in individuals in, in the US. Um, that's going to be an amazing journey to go on. I'm going to be going to the US and spending a lot of time there. We're now building out a contract division within our, our within our business. We're hiring through the roof. As you know, it's the biggest pain for anyone right now is, is hiring and, and trying to do that. But really, it's we've built a great core nucleus of the team. And now it's expanding and building upon that. And we've gone from a very small company that's, you know, sort of all over the place to a company that's structured and got processes and got everything in place to go on to be a successful company. So I'm excited by that. I'm excited by building and creating multiple top 500K million dollar billers. That for me, I cannot wait. And and we're already there with, with several people. And that's only getting bigger as we grow. And, you know, technology is constantly changing and evolving. So I'm looking forward to what the future holds with that. This is never going to stop and always be recruiting. Yeah, I love it. Well, um, look, absolutely love your energy, Harry. I think it's, you've been on a great journey. Excited to see where you are in another couple of years. But um, thanks so much for coming on the pod. 
I think, yeah, as I said, like, I just absolutely love your energy, mate. And I think, uh, yeah, just really excited to see where you guys are in, in the next few years. Hisham, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And um, I'm looking forward to the next one. <laughs> well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the recruitment mentors podcast